Welcome back to another episode of Podcast 99. I'm Ryan Lichten. I'm here with Parks Miller, our other partner in Woodstock 99-related crime. Josh Evans is not here with us today, although he is majorly responsible for this episode. Uh, we're going to be doing something a little little different to today rather than continuing down the, down the timeline or the, the wormhole, if you will. Um, so a couple things, though, that, that we want to get into uh, real quick. Our Patreon, which has, has been up for a while. We're getting ready to drop a whole bunch of stuff on there, some exclusive episodes, things like that. We wanted to thank those that have signed up for the Culture Dumps Patreon. Uh, someone named uh, Mikatera Canoli. Uh, we got Tyler, Shane, Mutual Respect, Jamie. Thank you, all of you. And thank you to the people that will be signing up in the future. Uh, we are trying to get some money together. so. So we could go to the next Woodstock, which was just announced. Yes, this is big news. This is actually between the time we planned to record this episode and the time that we are recording it. Uh, <laughs> just yesterday, there was a, a big announcement. We had been hearing rumors. We had been following some really sketchy uh, websites chasing some rumors of Woodstock's 50th anniversary. But yeah, how it did, was now announced. How did they find out before anyone else? Well, my I mean, my guess is that, you know, when you make an announcement like this, you I mean, the seat, I mean, it's been confirmed for a long time. Uh, but until you make that big press announcement, it is still technically rumors. So I, I'm sure like hundreds of people knew that this was going to happen. Uh, but now they've announced to, you know, all the, you know, NPR, Rolling Stone, Spin, all the big uh, publications are saying that there will be a 50th anniversary uh, of Woodstock happening this summer. Uh, of 2019 yeah, in August. Yeah. In, in New yeah. York. Uh, I just picture like the people at Rolling Stone or spin like that have been there for a while. Kind of like the, the man in the tower, just like staring out, like they've done it again. Like with just like <laughs> flashes of like flames and shit in their mind, like Vietnam flashbacks, right. fucking napalm going off and like cargo shorts, it's you know, total destruction in cargo shorts as a <laughs> wise man once said it's it's a it's a bold move um i read the rolling stone article which uh quotes lang so the big thing is michael lang the original uh honcho from 69 he is spearheading this thing and he is uh he's already made quite you know the statement uh the big thing i noticed was that he totally dismisses our baby 99 yeah. he says <laughs> <laughs> he says some things about Basically that basically that it was a an event of no social significance. Yeah, um, he shits which on is it. yeah, for sure. Yeah, which I mean, it is an event of huge social significance. I just think not in the way that he wants it to go. Right. And he called it also I think he called it an MTV event and he said that he didn't have anything to do with booking the acts of 99 and that he will be very involved with booking the acts for the one this summer. Oh, well, thank God. Uh, you know, the, see, I read, I didn't read the Rolling Stone one. I read the USA Today. And yeah, he says it was an MTV event. But he also says that it was just an angry time for music. Like, my hands were tied. Like, the biggest bands in the world just happened to be fucking Limp Bizkit and Corn. Like, I, 
I had to book him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. He, I he, mean, <laughs> bottom line is he's fucking glossing over that whole fucking thing. And I believe, right. I believe that John Share is also involved because uh, in the USA oh, Today article, okay. he was interviewed as well. And then um, oh, I don't think it's Cornfield or. Well, one of the original, one of the other original Woodstock promoters is working with him as well. But his job description was um, spiritual advisor. Like he's like, yeah, he he's on the team as well, but he's our <laughs> spiritual advisor. So I, I don't know. He's probably just still smoking a ton of dope. Wow. <laughs> but uh, speaking of smoking a, a ton of dope, though, <laughs> um, another thing That's... that. <laughs> That's classic. That that reminds me of uh, what was it? One of those band? I think the Jefferson Airplane. Like they, their credits of like one of their albums, they credit Jerry Garcia as a spiritual advisor. Oh my god! So- dude. <laughs> that you know, though I looking back, like there are people that I've encountered in my life that I could consider to be a spiritual advisor, and it doesn't seem so lame when I relate it to myself, even though it is exactly. Yeah, right. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, the whole thing is it's just it is interesting because I think that their absolute goal, I think one is Lang. I mean, Lang has got to be in his 70s. So he's trying to kind of he's got to be he wants to tidy it up. I understand why you'd want to do a 50 uh, 50th year, but I do think that. He's not going to really make much mention of 99 in the press, but I know that because that was the last Woodstock, I know that, you know, deep in his motivation is to make this one a huge success so that people will stop, you know, forever forget that 99 happened. I think it's, I mean, the, the festival culture right now is so huge and so strong that like, and you know, Woodstock 99 was fucking 20 years ago now. So there's right. like a whole crowd, like it, all these kids that are like 18 to 20 years old. I mean, even even up to like 25, like so basically like 25 and under people, which is mm-hmm. a huge festival demographic. They don't even fucking know about that shit and they don't care. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah, they're, because- they're, they're thinking Woodstock, like fucking the actual Woodstock, which again, if right. you listen to this podcast, you know, it was a complete fucking disaster too. There hasn't been a single one that's been a success. The only thing is the the legend of the first one is held in such high regard that no one even bothers to learn about the people that fucking died or how dangerous it was or how it fucking wrecked a community like which we'll get to later because there was laws that were passed specifically after the original Woodstock because of how badly the land was damaged and and, and the trash and everything that uh, when they tried to throw every Woodstock after 94 and 99 they ran into trouble with the laws that they fucking put into effect Uh, right uh, yeah there is certainly a a curse yeah I mean the only thing the the thing that I will say is going to play highly into their favor is the fact that just in the the last twenty years you've seen a humongous outbreak of festivals. You've got Coachella, Bonnaroo. You have this, the what is it? It's the stagecoach. You have the like oh stagecoach off festivals. Jazz Fest, you, you got uh, yeah. Uh, what's the new one with all the shitheads? Oh yeah, you, Rolling Loud. That, that's right. uh, <laughs> that's the thing. You, yeah, you have like EDM fest, you have jam fest, you have even like even like metal. There's like really successful metal festivals too. Oh yeah, and totally. The, I mean, Hellfest, uh, Ozfest. I mean, Jesus right. Christ, you can't and, fuck and up a festival. Now, right. I feel no, that's like. the thing. Is like, yeah, I mean, everything has become. And I've worked on some local festivals in Atlanta, and so I mean, everything does seem to be 
highly organized and I would say that there's probably like a humongous pool of resources and people who know how to do it that would, you know, potentially make this one at least run really smoothly. Um, but then I guess the question is, is that knowing that uh, how safe is Lang going to play it? You know, is he going to play it super safe and then just make it like a Bonnaroo copycat? But I think that he's going to want to try and make it really special. And whatever that means, there still is sort of like a question and intrigue. And it could also, you know, the Woodstock curse could still remain. No, I mean, I think so. But here's the thing. Whereas like 94 and 99 were all about fucking like profit and branding and everything. This one is too, but they're like making a huge push for the Woodstock brand. And the Woodstock right. brand includes a vineyard. They have their own wine now. They have their own brand of cannabis that they're toting and fucking oh. like a billion other things. And they, they talked about how just like the logo itself has generated like $100 million in revenue since it was trademarked. So they're just pushing themselves and, you know, rather than slapping a Pepsi logo on everything, they're slapping a Woodstock logo on everything. So who knows how this right. is going to turn out. But one thing is mm -hmm. for sure, I bet you you're, you can bet your fucking ass that they're going to have free water at this one. <laughs> yeah i'm sure they will i think i saw a, a quote from lang's referring to the water disaster of 99 and uh, <laughs> saying something about like yeah i tried to get some water in there and it, it like didn't he's walking around with something. a 24 pack of fucking arrowhead like he's like <laughs> Why, where do i put this shit <laughs> yeah. that's fucking spray, spray well bottle. i mean dude we like oh my gosh i we have so much to cover today um Right. In regards we'll, we'll to 99. And, and, oh, right, yeah. We'll yeah, keep yeah. you updated on 2019 because they haven't even announced the lineup yet. And yeah, we got to get to this other this what this episode is really about. Yes. And, and this fucking episode is all about the kind of the setup to, to 99. Um, we've talked a lot about this research artifact that we have, the mystery tape. Uh, it's, it's from the Rome Sentinel newspaper. It was called a reporter's notebook, and it's just like handheld camera footage of walking the grounds leading up to, during, and after Woodstock. And it shows some amazing footage that you don't see on any of the major media outlets because they were all backstage covering it from, you know, safe towers and things like this. These guys weren't interviewing people. They were just fucking walking around filming what they saw. So that's been mm -hmm. completely instrumental in, in this podcast, that tape. But Josh, who, again, is not here today, unfortunately, but he fucking found a second one, like a sequel to the mystery tape, which we call yeah. mystery tape part two or part two, if you will. Uh, <laughs> and it, this is actually really cool because you guys at home can watch it because it's on YouTube. So it's on uh, YouTube and Vimeo. It's a little complicated, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. The way it's broken up is a slightly complicated, but it, it right. is all available to you. Well, you know, like everything with Woodstock 99, you have to. You have to put the pieces of the puzzle together yourself until we are done with this podcast. There will not be, there's no comprehensive one shot go way to research this particular topic. So even when mm -hmm. it's a, it's a single movie, you still have to go to two different websites and watch it out of order in order to see it like, right. properly. It's completely weird, mm -hmm. but uh, it's, it's um, a huge piece of the puzzle. Right. But before we get it and get into it, we should mention that. Yes, we are aware that we are uh, the episodes are a bit out of order yes yes so. that's, that's huge yeah yeah 
Yeah. Um, we, we do record these kind of, you know, out of order or, oh, we, we find something like the mystery tape and we have to stop everything <laughs> to do an episode about that. So we, you know, so the information's fresh. Um, but so, you know, if you hear some episodes coming out that, you know, where we say like, oh, happy holidays or something like that, just know it's because we've been sitting on it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's been with us. We, we appreciate your patience. Uh, yeah, we had a little, you know, with the holidays and everything, we're getting we're getting back on to getting a bunch of episodes coming out to you really, really soon. Yeah. Patreon so. stuff. Uh, we got some survivor stories. There's I believe there is. Let's see. One, two. There's like three legend sets just on day two. Uh, we haven't even gotten to the first one yet. So, yeah, you guys, you, you're in you're in for a treat. Uh, but mm-hmm. we do need to go all yeah. the way back now. This is we're talking mm-hmm. June 1999, a month before the festival Woodstock 99. And this tape is uh, it was filmed and compiled by a guy named Rick E. Lewis. Uh, his, his YouTube page has a lot of videos. Most of them are kind of like public access quality music performances. He's got a lot of stuff about Rome, New York, a lot of stuff on, on Woodstock 99, including this what is a full length documentary, essentially, on Woodstock 99. The only of its kind, uh, mm-hmm. if I do say so. And I'm going to I'm going to say that it's, it's there's a pretty good chance that he was the guy that filmed the mystery tape as well. Um, the, the original one, you yeah. know, it, it, I think so. There's. There's recurring characters in it. The, the biggest one is uh, Stephen B. Waters from the Mystery Tape. He's a reporter. He gives kind of this yeah. epic little uh, recap at the end of the Mystery Tape. And he reappears again in this tape with some some pretty wise words. Um, so, yeah, Rick E. Lewis, we will be trying to find you very soon and get more of your perspective and maybe try to figure out exactly what his role was. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, th- I, my, I, I think he lives in Rome because I was searching his other videos and it seems like he just films a lot of just kind of the everyday uh, just events and occurrences that happen in Rome, New York, you know, to this day. So it's it's pretty interesting stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah, captivating. Uh, so the, the I film mean, well, it really oddly is. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty boring, but maybe that's just how far down the rabbit. Oh, yeah, it's hole like a Norman Rockwell painting or something. You know, you're like, like <laughs> right. You know, it's uh, everyday life. You know, the, just to be right. a fly on the wall of a small town pizza place. Right. Well, I guess that's the perspective of this that I'm so interested by is that it's from the perspective of Rome, New York, whereas. Everything else is kind of from the perspective of Woodstock and major band names and disaster. And this is kind of really this is a, on what, yeah. how does this affect the town of Rome? Yeah, you know? this is the story of the, of the town. This is actually uh, at its heart a story about the people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's about a small town. Uh, so the film, which is called Woods, uh, be, be, what is it? It's, it's, I don't even know if it has a real title because all the videos, it's different, but I think it's called Woodstock 99 before, during, and after. Uh, and that's what you'll plug into YouTube to find it. There's five parts on YouTube and then there's three parts on Vimeo. Um, but as the title suggests, it was filmed before, during, and after Woodstock 99. Um, it's got all sorts of interviews with people, everyone from reporters, city planners, government officials, musicians, townspeople, uh, all in Rome, New York and of Rome, New York. Um, the film, it bears a striking resemblance to the original mystery tape that we've mentioned. So, you know, I, I really think that they are connected. It, there's no way that because, uh, again, it's got the same people in it. It's got, you know, Stephen Waters. It's got it's it, it's got to be the same guy. Ricky Lewis is probably has more Woodstock 99 footage than anyone else. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're out there, we. We want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of the people yes, that are absolutely. that are featured in it, 
um they 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 come back like they're they're basically the main characters throughout this entire documentary but the main the big difference is that the second mystery tape it it covers a, a wider span of time um so it's it's yes. got you know it, it it has interviews with 10 years later you know it has interviews from before um so it, it's i mean it's crazy that he went back 10 years after and these people still wanted to talk and again he's not interviewing fucking limp biscuit or you know metallica or red hot chili peppers or anything like that he's interviewing like the bands that he interviews are all local bands the people he interviews are like the mayor the local newspaper reporters it, it's very down home and and that's that's the focus of it it's how it affected the, the town but it does span a, a much larger you know uh passage of time than just the mystery tape so it of oh, course yeah you know as it should it's a full length right. but uh mm-hmm. I, I mean, I could watch just the mis- the original mystery tape all day. I wish it was 20 hours long. Uh, it, it, it's, right, right. it's out of control. But this one really lends a lot of kind of backstory and makes it a little more real, a little more personal. Um, it opens with a complete just like cliche documentary opening about Woodstock 99. Um, it's almost like the beginning of a horror movie or something like that it would be like, like <laughs> the kids are going to camp, like singing in the car. They're like, oh, I can't wait to get to camp. Like, it's just really kind of like mm-hmm. ominous if you know what goes on. Uh, we're, we're just going to play that really quick. One, two, three, four. It was 1999, the end of the 20th century. Woodstock, the world-renowned music concert, came to central New York while all eyes were fixated on the sound stages at the former Griffiths Air Force Base. There was much more going on before, during, and after Woodstock 99 in Rome, New York. Yeah, so even you can hear uh, this. There's a song that we want to play at Woodstock too. Um, I'm not sure if that's the exact title, but <laughs> this was written by a local. We want to play at Woodstock too. Yeah, and it's funny because I mean it is. I mean it's not up to. It's it's pretty like sh- shabbily produced. Um, but this is a local band. I believe it's the local Rome, New York band, Fluid. Yeah, it's Fluid. I think was the name of it. Yeah, and we mentioned them when we talked about uh, like the pre-show, fluid. Which we'll talk about fluid some more. <laughs> <laughs> fluid, yeah. But I mean, like Woodstock '99. Like it just yeah. seems like like God. You just know it goes so bad. So like to hear the the enthusiasm, it, it's it's out of control. Uh, so one of the main people that they follow throughout the whole documentary is this uh, radio station, local radio station DJ, WIBX is the station. His name's Philip Stern. He goes by Phil Stern, uh, another New York Stern uh, radio <laughs> host. And he, locally, he had the reputation as a quick-witted, no-holds-barred radio host who spoke his mind no matter how unpopular his opinion may have been. And uh, he has like this insane radio voice, too, that's like h- hilarious. But it, it opens with him giving like a news brief. And so while on the air, he explains that the city officials decided to waive the deadline for the mass gathering permits that Woodstock 99 promoters needed in order to throw the festival. They were supposed to pay about one point four million dollars for these permits for mass gatherings, which it kind of covers like um, insurance and, and lends, you know, credence to like the uh, like who's liable if shit goes wrong. And things like that. And, and it makes it it makes it all kosher and makes it all legal. Um, mm-hmm. Rome wanted this to happen so bad. And, and they were kind of just like he Phil Stern describes him as uh, playing chicken. 
like the officials in Lang were like, uh, I don't, I'm not going to pay that yet. Like, I think Woodstock wanted to wait until they actually made that money to pay it. They didn't want to put any more money up front. And mm-hmm. Rome didn't want to run the risk of it being canceled with all the, all the planning and man hours that they had put into helping organize it. Right. So they waived it, which is fucking crazy because what that does legally is it leaves the city of Rome completely responsible if it, if it turned into a disaster, which it did. Right, because and, uh, because the gather the, they didn't give them permits, so it's like an illegal festival. And there was and and it's funny because even so, this is a small town, and uh, Philip Stern, Phil Stern is on the radio, and he's even calling out. There's a county executive named Ralph Anais who was the one who like okayed the waving, and he kind of is like, yeah, and so guess what, you know, if for all those people who didn't want Woodstock to happen, if anything goes wrong, just, you know, remember that it was this guy like Ralph Ineas. And so, I mean, you, you're, you get a sense of like, I mean, it's not like a tiny town, but it is, I mean, it is a small, you know, it's a small city and you get that sense of like that. I mean, this is a huge event that they are talking about potentially happening, you know, right. It, at, in their city. No. Yeah, totally. And I mean, and again, it just it kind of is just crazy that they were like, well, we want Woodstock 99 to happen really bad. So just go ahead, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, but then also, yeah, like you said, like it affected everyone in the town because uh, y- you have, you know, everyone in the surrounding area, every young person, every fucking music fan, every hooligan coming into this town for three days. So it's basically like having another full city of people added to your city right so a lot of people were super freaked out mm -hmm. oh and and also i will because this was the one five years after 94 uh it it wasn't so much of a like man this could be great you know they had just five years prior in saugerties seen uh quite a bit of chaos happen uh in 94 namely all the gate crashing and you know the muds and all the mud fight and all that crazy stuff that happened 94 so you know, it was pretty fresh in everyone's memory that like the one that had just happened did not, you know, really go well. And uh, I think Philip right. mentioned something about how he saw a lot of the runoff or something, or he had some sort of snarky way of referring to the aftermath of 94. Right. Yeah. And he, he keeps referring to like, I'm sure you'll, it's gotta be in one of these fucking clips that we're playing today. Cause we, we have so many, cause this tape is so full of them. But uh, he calls everyone that goes to Woodstock hippie dippy trippies. He's like the hippie yeah. dippy trippies are back, and he, right. like that's just like so. Like he sees anyone that's going to Woodstock is just being like a fucking hippie dippy trippy, and they're all crazy. So when he says runoff, he probably like went to Target or something and saw like people getting shit for Woodstock and was like, holy shit, hippie dippy trippy. <laughs> he might he but, might uh, have literally seen a you know a stream of human excrement and called that the runoff. <laughs> I think yeah, that, oh, I think that he's. Stern, for the most part, I say is a as I I think he's a pretty likable, somewhat impartial character. But uh, the way he says "hippy dippy trippies," I, you can tell he's really proud of himself for for thinking that one up. And uh, yeah, it's it's a little you know, hey, it's nineteen ninety nine, so we'll give it to him. Um, but I <laughs> I did notice. Oh, you were so you he does call. He, he, I mean, this, this is great. This is just interesting to me just because, I mean, just 20 years ago, you had like, I mean, a, a much more popular like form of just feedback is people calling into a radio station and voice. Yeah, their totally. I, I know people still do that now, but it, this is way more like an actual source of information pre 
social media, you know? And so he has people, you know, calling in like locals from Rome, you know, hey, do you want Woodstock to be here or not? This clip uh, in particular, though, of a woman calling into the radio station is fucking hilarious to me because uh, she is like it's a woman talking about her mother who's just so frightened about Woodstock coming. I'm guessing her mother probably grew up like around the time of the original one. So, you know, all the social stigma that came from that, she's probably harnessing now. But like the older you get, the crazier young people get. So, yeah, she was like fucking terrified. Uh, and it, it's hilarious. So let's let's listen to the. the the concerned citizen really quick. My mother-in-law, who's 92, is so worried. She's got a loaded gun by her bed. And <laughs> a loaded gun. She kept a, like an old woman with a loaded gun afraid of Woodstock. Yeah, like just a bunch. I mean, just like a bunch of drug crazed, you know, <laughs> teenagers just like banging out the door like we want a party. We want drugs. Give us your drugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm yeah, oh God. But uh, yeah, so that's fucking hilarious. And Phil Stern, he has, I mentioned before, he has like one of the most radio guy, radio voices of all time. I'm like super, super uh, jealous. But this little clip here of him talking about uh, talking about Woodstock and, and, it, and the city leading up to it is really funny because he's not on the air. He's just in, a, in his backyard and he's talking like this. So this is how you know that you are a true radio host. If you sound like this, just talking in your backyard. Well, you know, when we first heard about Woodstock coming to town, uh, it seemed almost unbelievable. I mean, Woodstock was, you know, kind of considered this larger than life thing. And obviously everybody talked about it, it was kind of considered this, this icon. And specifically for me, I had been in Albany in 94 when they had Woodstock 94. And I saw the size and scope of this being, you know, several, you know, I guess 20, 30 miles away from Woodstock itself. I still saw the backwash Washington to Albany and seeing what an effect it had. So uh, I was kind of amazed that they were talking about bringing something this big to this area. But then when I thought about it and thought that you had the Air Force Base and you had all this open land, and in that respect, it might be a very, very good location for Woodstock, it seemed to make more and more sense. As time went on, though, it seemed that a lot of local officials also had their own doubts. They went through this long mass gathering permit process. In his backyard, speaking like that, like a permanent microphone is in front of his face. He's a natural, um, but it's interesting to watch him actually do like it's interesting to watch him talk and do news bulletins on the thing because it shows kind of the process. He I noticed one thing is he will step away from the microphone just for a second to like catch his breath or I don't know, swallow some spit. And uh, yeah, I it, guess it, maybe we could take some cues from that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got it down. Yeah, it's really weird. His, his cadence is, is kind of weird. And it, I mean, it totally he talks like that so much that it just translates into his like everyday speech. Like, it's probably really weird mm -hmm. to like, have him call and order a pizza, you know, like <laughs> I'm just like, like, I'd like a pepperoni with buffalo wings. I don't know. It's. It, <laughs> It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> right yeah because he does these little pauses he gives these little pauses in between yeah and, and this will only be funny to you if you guys fucking go watch the video <laughs> like otherwise the, right. this won't make yeah. any any sense uh so another guy that they interview a lot is is Stephen b waters who was i believe he was like the editor of the rome sentinel um and he's also in the og mystery tape like like parks mentioned 
Uh, he explains how, mm-hmm. how Rome was in dire need of something like a Woodstock in order to save the economy of, of the town, which had been suffering ever since Griffiths Air Force Base shut down. Um, they didn't. Sh- I mean, there was mm-hmm. personnel there, but they, they weren't doing flying missions out of it or anything. So about four to 5,000 jobs were lost. And Pony, actually, the, right. the survivor that we had on, she mentioned that happening. And that's why the economy was suffering. So everyone saw this as like a great way to like boost everyone and, and kind of get them through the rest of the year and maybe the year after, you know what I mean? And, and kind of bring interest mm-hmm. to Rome, because if this went well, then other people will come and maybe that's going to be our town's new thing. We have this huge space to do a concert, even though it's a ex toxic waste dump fucking military air base. But, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, though I did look it up and, uh, uh, since 2004, it has been operational as the Griffiths business uh, and technology park. So, it has managed to have some use. Well, and, and Stephen, in the original mystery tape, I believe uh, Waters says, like, I think he mentions that, like, CDs were invented there, or, like, the technology was, like, developed there, which is kind of, wow. yeah, kind of crazy. Um, and so in a lot of these, like, preliminary interviews, you get the sense that no one thought Woodstock was going to happen in Rome, but everyone really wanted it to. That's, like, the big overall theme mm-hmm. is, like, oh, like, why would they come to Rome? But I hope they do. But then also on the flip side, you have right. the scared old ladies, like, barricading themselves in the house with a loaded gun. Uh, right. <laughs> so You also have, uh, you have another recurring character, Mary Jo Beach, who is the uh, vice president and GM of Regent Broadcasting, which I think was just kind of like a, a, a larger area, some you know, somewhere in the New York area. I'm not totally sure what the scope of Regent was. And yeah, she very much gives, she gives a very small town uh, feel to this of just like, well, you know, we were just really hoping that yeah. <laughs> they would bring the Woodstock over here to Rome, New York. And uh, yeah, totally. she's a sweet lady. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, she's in it like the entire time. Um, and so one of my mm-hmm. favorite things though, once it really starts, cause, cause they, they tease a lot of scenes in it. Like they'll show like a clip of a, a press conference and then later in the film, they'll show the, the complete press conference or, or whatever. Um, but one of my favorite things that they do is they keep showing the traffic coming in, the hippy dippy trippies, uh, driving on, on the, on the freeways coming in. And on one of the overpasses, they made a giant like countdown to Woodstock 99 banner. And it would say like eight right. days, seven days, six days, but it was a different banner every day that just had right. the different number. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, I mean, they show it at eight, I believe. I'm going to guess they probably did like a 10 day countdown. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, I mean, God, how much are those? Those are probably a couple hundred bucks each. That, <laughs> where was that in Rome's budget to, to make fucking these giant right. vinyl banners to be used once? Woodstock 99 is never going to be counted down to again. So, like the where, right. and where are those right it's i mean they are hoping for a serious uh economic uh stimulus uh going on so i think those big banners they the banners they look really funny now um but again it's it's 2019 and it's not i guess it's the best they could have done right um, yeah mean, nowadays it would be, be like digital right i mean that would be an amazing uh artifact if I don't know what they did with those banners, yeah, I, I mean, want like huge. I mean, they look like tw- twenty one. or thirty feet long. Yeah, dude, they're fucking right, huge. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's fucking. I, crazy. I mean, that's why we got to talk to Ricky Lewis. I feel like he would know someone, and there's who knows, maybe there's some warehouse somewhere, in Rome, New York, that just has them all like just dusty and uh, falling apart or something. God, it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, or like draped over yeah. pieces of the wall or something. 
Uh, oh, you know what? I actually yeah. found uh, uh, Phil Stern uh, saying hippy dippy trippies about about the traffic. Yeah, real quick. It is Woodstock week here in the Mohawk Valley. The hippy dippy trippies have already started. Hippy dippy trippies. He's gonna say that a bunch. Hippy dippy trippies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says it real fast. Yeah, because because yeah. he's he decided that that was gonna be his word to use, then he had to stick with it, and he's like, "Fuck, that takes a long time." Uh, also, uh, <laughs> they they start showing footage of people walking into the grounds. You can spot a man wearing a Confederate flag print do rag. Uh, just wanted to mention mm. that I love uh, keeping track of all the Confederate flags that you see in Woodstock '99 footage. It's fucking crazy. Right. I mean, just one of the one of the many just you know incredible fashion fails that occurred here. Yeah, there's, the, it, there's something about watching even just the traffic jam, and it's it's just hard where it's like there's so many like little hallmarks of the time that it kind of just washes over, and then you're just like, I, it, yeah, it feels like you're there, totally. It, you're you're aggressively there, and you don't, and it's like I don't I don't want to be there, <laughs> yeah, but I am. Well, when it shows the freeway, <laughs> like like the traffic's so backed up that people are like sitting on top of their cars, walking along the, the edge of the freeway. Some some guys, there's like a clip where like these four dudes are pushing their car because it like died, but they're like in traffic. So whatever. Right. Like it's it's fucking yeah. chaos. Yeah. And there's like a big school bus with like all sorts of fucking graffiti all over it. And yeah. So it, it, it's the, the hippie dippy trippies are coming in for, for sure. Uh, and the thing is, though, the they didn't announce any of the traffic planning until about a week before the thing even started like the week of the festival that's when they told everyone and the locals where the roots were and that's when they distributed special parking passes for the locals and for everyone else so it was really all last minute um so last minute in fact yeah. that the, the nearby town of marcy new york was very there you know they were very excited for woodstock because they thought that they were going to be on the traffic route coming in to rome so the town supervisor mm -hmm. brian scalia uh, he went as far as to organize what what he called Marcy Fest, where there's going to be live music, there's going to be a vendor village, there's going to be a place for people coming into Woodstock to like stop and rest and chill out. Uh, and he, you know, he's very excited talking about the possibilities and the money that could be made in his little town this one weekend. And he's like, yeah, we're going to have a lot of vendors here. They'll be selling everything from candles to sausage and peppers. <laughs> yeah i i noticed that too and i was like that's the best it must have been like the last two vendors that had just confirmed was like a candle seller and a like a sausage like a sausage dog stand or yeah. something and that was like the two he could think of um, or that yeah, was it it's, it's a really strange combo maybe that was all he had confirmed but the best fucking part is is that the traffic was totally diverted around marcy and the entire fucking thing was a bust so you see, like, like there's footage yeah. of all these vendors there, like, with sunglasses and fucking sunscreen and shit and, like, hemp bags and everything. And they're like, yeah, didn't do as good as we thought. And, like, no one's fucking right. there. It's hilarious. And, uh, yeah, Marcy. And this will be, the, this is this is not the first uh, bust involving uh, local town people uh, because a lot of the local stuff, as we'll later see, did, did get planned very last minute. And I guess uh, we can, I don't know, It's it almost seems like, you know, involving the locals was an afterthought. And, you know, you're starting to get a sense that, you know, they are very hopeful, you know, that they're trying to look at this festival very positively. Right. And, you know, certain stuff like the little, there's another thing that comes up like the Marcy Fest fiasco <laughs> that, you know, it's just, there's a lot going on. I mean, they're, you know, they're thinking about 
you know, Limp Bizkit and Shale Crow, and they're they're not really thinking about which way the traffic is going to go. Right. Yeah, e- so. exactly. Also, I just think that they were fucking scared, like, because, you know, Woodstock, historically, people come in because because it has this kind of like there's a very big draw for like the nomadic kind of hippie lifestyle. So these people come in, you know, like a week or two before and just camp out. So like you're like it totally changes the landscape of your town for the time that it's there, even a little bit right. before and and definitely mm-hmm. after as well. Um, but the traffic yeah. planning, though. Oh. Yes. Sorry. So this this is a random thing. Just going back to Woodstock, the the one that's happening the 50 year one that one's taking place uh in watkins Glen, which is a uh, is a place that has had festivals before uh it had a uh an almond the almond brothers played there in 1973 uh to 600,000 people which is actually i think considered the largest uh gab you know festival in north america and that was 600,000 people for a one-day concert but i was reading that uh, people were there for an entire week God. just hanging out yeah like, for that's a one what day this concert shit so so i think that the, yeah that was the expectation was just that yeah that the whole town is going to be flooded um well, so, and, and it yeah, was it you know right, it, it, no, it, it definitely was but it's it's hard to predict exactly like what is going to happen and where people are going to go right exactly and that's why like you know it seems silly to have to create like government, like like local government, like fucking special groups and, and, you know, offices and positions just for a festival that's going to happen one time. But when you think about the fucking, you know, what happens to a town, it, it makes a lot of sense. Cause like, for instance, the traffic planning for the entire festival was headed up by a guy named Charles Manning, whose official title was the director of offsite traffic and planning for Woodstock 99. <laughs> like, right. like he, he, what you yeah. get fired afterwards? Like, there, that job doesn't exist after Woodstock '99. <laughs> and then uh, there were other divisions of the local government that were created just for Woodstock as well. Uh, mainly the Woodstock '99 Unified Command, which was headed up by Captain William mm-hmm. Gavin, and that's like the police right. and like sheriffs, like special Woodstock division. Who, uh, well, I don't want to say they dropped the ball because then the police finally did come in uh, on on that third day. Uh, they cleaned up. They cleaned up house and then they got it back together. Uh, it was the security that dropped the right. ball. So, you know, Woodstock 99 Unified Command, solid job. Uh, and, and in the final mm-hmm. press conference, uh, before the concert began, all of the traffic plans are laid out. So they had a giant map at the press conference. They're showing everyone the routes. They're telling everyone the parking rules and everything and showing all, all the passes. But they left every single aspect of the plan open-ended uh, in case of unforeseen circumstances. So it's like, here's True. the plan, but also like we might not do any of this at all. <laughs> like, Right. Yeah. And I, and I guess what what I would now that we've gone so deep into this, I would be curious to see, you know, say a Coachella or one of these big ones now, how it compares, because, you know, we, we only have this to go by. This is the one that we've really studied. But I, I now I'm curious to know, like, it, you know, was this normal or like, you know, maybe if depending like maybe there's red flags we're even missing now in this watching this footage that we're not aware of just because of because there is so much involved in doing an event like this right which is why we thought that you know it'd be a good idea for us to come all the way back and fill you guys in on this stuff because the more kind of background you have the more you can appreciate the music and the craziness (laughs) you know what i mean like to to really know yeah so we wanted to start off uh start this year's uh 
string of episodes off with some some more background stuff um but yeah you're talking about red flags uh, most of the people involved in planning for this they all looked at 94 as what not to do and it's mentioned so many times we didn't want what happened in socrates we saw what happened in socrates everyone's talking about it because they didn't want that to happen and what happened in 94 didn't necessarily happen in 99 it was just a whole fucking other thing you know what i mean right, it, it, it was, was a whole different monster different shit went wrong you know uh it's like mm-hmm. they you know got their got their pants on and then their shirt you know busted a button it's like it, it's crazy um and right but then you know so the traffic plan is announced and then it goes back in the film and it starts showing you more of the footage of the traffic coming in which is just total gridlock you know you see people ghost riding their cars drinking they're walking on the highway like we were talking about but in this particular shot of the traffic you see godsmack's tour bus and big trailer and they're just fucking locked in deadlock traffic dude right yeah i i noticed the godsmack truck i i wasn't sure i wondered what it was i because i was like i it was like pretty big but i was like i don't know i didn't know how big godsmack was i was like i was like is this their tour bus or is this just some like crazed fan that has like painted their truck like well it's on the trailer the, that the it says it, like the, the gear trailer that the that the tour bus is hauling is it is the oh, thing that says godsmack that makes sense. yeah so it's like but also like i would i mean i don't know how, how godsmack was doing i mean they were huge obviously at the time to to fucking be ro- rolling like that and be playing at woodstock but like imagine if it was like Metallica or something or like another huge band that just had it slapped on the side right. and then you're stuck in traffic with all these hooligans that are coming to see you like woo yeah that's <laughs> a that's a nervous that's a nervous drive <laughs> my guess is maybe maybe the maybe the band maybe the band was like not there and they like sent they sent the crew to you got airlifted <laughs> to in to yeah. deal with the traffic or something yeah <laughs> you got to bring in uh, god smack by a fucking helicopter right there's a, a great interview with, with the, the owner of a local record store. I believe it's called Listen Up uh, is what it says on the sign. And he's just fucking ruthless. Yeah. Because uh, they're asking him like, oh, so what like as a music store owner, what do you think about Woodstock coming here? And he's like, well, none of my employees can go. And then <laughs> so I have it written here that he's a, a ruthless music poser uh, because of how, right. how mean right. he was about about his employees going to Woodstock. So, yeah, here, let's listen to that really quick. Really bummed I have to work and I can't go. It's you know we don't know what to expect, so we're all working. I told my employees you cannot go, you must work. Is it Friday, Saturday, Sunday while the show's going on? It remains to be seen. Could be dead in here, so take your chances, you know. People from all over, you know, the country, man, Chicago, Alabama, wherever they're they're coming in already. And uh, what is it, Wednesday already? Amazing, you know. We're probably we've only seen an increase in about twenty percent business, but that's pretty good. And you can hear Jewel in the background, I believe, over that last little bit. But like, oh, nice catch. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy because he's he's basically hoping that yeah. It's it seems really harsh, and he's sort of trying to make it seem like it's cool what he's doing but he's just telling all of his employees like you cannot go because you have to work and what does he say he's like yeah i think i think we saw a 20 percent increase in sales yeah which is pretty good it's just like i mean i could just imagine like the the meek like record store employee who just like 
completely is like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not going to go. And then like just <laughs> nobody shows up and he's just like, I'm missing Woodstock. I know he's watching it like on MTV, like his boss won't even get the pay-per-view. Like, so he's got to just watch it on the news. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. That's, that makes, I, I feel for those people that were stuck in the, in the record store. And also, like, who the fuck's like, what? Like, someone goes to Woodstock, they're like, damn, that Limp Bizkit was pretty good. I'm going to go to the record store and buy a CD. Like, I, I just don't understand the mentality. Uh, there's also, right. in, in that little string of interviews, there's a great interview with this, like, little hippie couple that uh, is, is chilling on the sidewalk. And they mention uh, the mm -hmm. last event they attended. So let's listen to that really quick. Just came from Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania National Rainbow Gathering. It's an annual event. They have little regionals, but the, the last national had 19,000 people. And it's, it's all about, um, it's an alternative lifestyle thing. Okay. You're, you're allowed to do whatever you want there, as long as you're not hurting anybody. We can walk around naked even. Yeah, the the rainbow gathering. Yes, which I've heard of. I've heard of this before from people where it's like a, it's a, it's an, a, a festival that they it's it's a it's much smaller as he mentions, but basically people they don't really plan it until like a few weeks before, and they don't reveal the location. It's all kind of like a secret, um, sort of like hippie gathering. It sounds miserable. That. Yeah, it does. I so I worked at this uh, taco place uh, for a while, and some people I worked with had been to and talked about it before. And uh, I guess like maybe I don't think they enticed me to do it, but I heard in recent years. So the problem with it is that uh, I mean it's completely unregulated, and so I guess like maybe it was you know pretty peaceful for a while. But I think it made the news a couple years ago because someone. Uh, actually did die or someone was like like attacked someone and they had to call they had to call the police yeah because someone was like completely cranked out on meth and like attacked someone and uh yeah it sounded i think that maybe i don't know what's going on with the rainbow gathering anymore but it sounded well i looked scary. it up yeah i looked into it too and yeah it, it it's it's just like a it's an alternative lifestyle festival so you just go and hang out basically there's a lot of nudity a lot of drugs um, and yeah, I mean, like all things like that, it starts good enough. And then eventually it becomes a fucking thing like Woodstock where the wrong people hear about it. And they're like, Oh, fucking naked chicks. And like, there was one guy who right. was, he who went to like three and was like raping a bunch of people, like, like raped, like, I, I think he assaulted. I mean, like several women each time and eventually was caught. And he was like this serial rapist of the rainbow gathering. And then, yeah, the, what you're talking about with the violence that definitely fucking happened too. It's like, it Yikes. it's out of control man like I, I don't know something about alternative i don't know just uh these hippies you know they're they're not as nice as you think there's a dark well, there's a I darkness guess, i guess i mean yeah i mean because the whole idea is to you know it is like a, a anti-establishment you're you are not happy with the way that the established you know the rules are or the government is and so you know, I think that there can be this brief, you know, it's like an ideal period in which you kind of reject that. And you're like, we're going to we're going to do it ourselves, you know. But then eventually that that is a very short lived period of time, I think, in which you can have that before you end up. See, you understand, like, why there are rules, you know, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, you can't exist in chaos or anarchy for too long without being like, well, because some because someone is going to just start you know wielding there's fucking their power sick people or out there. just strength or brutality or whatever it is yeah 
So, well, it's like in the end of the original mystery tape, there's like a scene when like the fires are going and there's a girl sitting on the grass and she goes, I guess we need laws after all. Like it's, you know what I mean? It takes something like that. Yeah, no, but like 100% it's fucking out of control. Mm -hmm. So then the film, it turns its attention towards some of like the local acts that played. And we mentioned uh, some of these like on our pre-show episode, um, bands like Gridley Page, Mm -hmm. Fluid, who did the kind of theme song for this whole documentary. Uh, And then the singer songwriter, John Liebing. Um, and the local oh, and we also uh, Spanky's Dilemma. Oh, yes. Great yeah. Name. Spanky's Dilemma. Yeah. Oh, how could I forget? God damn. That is the craziest <laughs> fucking baby. Spanky's Dilemma. Yeah. Oh, the, wow. The, this one is a really good one. This is this is some really intense slice of life. Rome, New York, Th- these local bands and their place on Woodstock. And uh, you and I both, you know, being people played in bands. This is this is pretty brutal and can hit. Close <laughs> it's to home. completely brutal, dude. Because here's the thing: yeah. all the local acts they were placed on the bill last minute. Like there was a huge like that was one of the selling points to get Rome to agree to host Woodstock. Even though they were excited for it, there was still like some apprehension. So one of the things that the promoters said was, "Oh, uh, and we'll have you know local acts from the town, and we'll really get you guys involved." So last minute, mm-hmm. they they were thrown on on the bill. On the day of the pre-show, not like, you know, on, on Thursday, not, not even on Friday. And they were asked to play on like a series of welcoming stages that were built last minute that were, you know, independently contracted. These companies came, built these little stages in the parking lot. And the footage of these performances, it, the only footage that I've seen of the welcoming stages, and it is fucking brutal, dude. No one is there. Yeah. It's, everyone's walking past them, carrying their shit, going in, like walking right fucking past it. And uh, yeah, actually, I, I, yeah, I mean, it seems like it seems like the local it's it seems like they almost got tricked where it was just like, you know, it's like the week of they haven't heard any concrete facts. And then it's just like, all right, guess what, guys, you're going to actually get to play at Woodstock. And then, you know, I could imagine just being like, oh, my God, this is this is like a chance of a lifetime. Uh, You know, th- th- this could break us. And then they play on like a tiny stage in the parking lot. Yeah, know? it's fucking like it's just, nuts, dude. Yeah. It it sucks. And the, fo- the footage of it is intense. Yeah, no, it, it's almost as brutal as watching the huge bands play with the giant pits. It's fucking so fucking just like cringy. Uh but John Liebing, he he mentions uh in in his interview that takes place 10 years after Woodstock, he mentions how bleak that was and there's also uh, a clip of him playing where he mentions how bleak it is. Uh, and he he talks, oh, you know, like if I wasn't there with the person that just signed me to a fucking record deal, I wouldn't have even played. I would have walked away. You know what I mean? But like I had to because mm-hmm. that person was there. It was fucking he said it was humiliating is, is the word he uses. So we're, we're going to play right. that, that little clip now of him talking about playing on one of these welcoming stages at Woodstock 99. Because as it turns out, they stuck us at, 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 the, at the welcoming gates and they had these really horrible PA systems standing in the direct sunlight. People were walking past me going to the real stage. And it, it was like, it was humiliating and embarrassing. But like a lot of things in life, you can't laugh at it. You know, it's gonna, it's gonna heat you up. It was kind, it's kind of a joke. Hey, you played at Woodstock? Yeah, how many people did you play for? Uh, eight. <laughs> See, I wouldn't have done it. I signed a, a deal with the Money Records and we put out this CD. I don't know if it's glaring, but. It's called I'm Through Here, and uh, I had a, a little deal with, with this company, and they wanted me to play Woodstock. A representative from, from, from the record company came with me that day, 
And had she not been there, had I not had that signed a deal with that label, I would have got there and I would have gotten there and looked looked at how things were set up and I would have said, no, no way. It's incredibly bleak. Yeah. Um, I love, he's just like, oh, there was these horrible speakers and then the uh, footage cuts to a shot of uh, the speakers and it's uh, JBL which is like kind of notoriously yeah. shat upon um, <laughs> it's like what you would have at like a multi-purpose room at a school right I mean it is definitely not what they were using on the main stages again just pointing to that this is all like a big afterthought for Woodstock 99 for the actual like big promoters this is completely an afterthought thrown together they're interviewing this guy steve bazinski from copper city productions who i will say he he might be best dressed of the uh, locals he's got these like those like cocaine (laughs) aviators on and he's just kind of like yeah they just kind of threw me into it last minute and apparently they call him a week before and just like all right we've got 24 bands playing and you just gotta like you have to just produce it you gotta get all the sound figure out the schedule do all this stuff so yeah for nothing kind of yeah working with the best he's got i guess yeah no it's like but but then you you do all that and no one fucking cares no one stops to watch at all i mean you know when john liebing says oh oh you played at woodstock Uh, yeah how many people were there eight you know it's like uh, it's really embarrassing and phil stern the the radio host he has uh some choice words about the local acts and kind of the whole idea of putting them on uh, on the bill and uh, none of the things that he has to say are are nice uh so mm-hmm. and it, it's also interesting uh because he he mentions pink floyd a lot like he, he's like i mean one of these bands could be the next pink floyd but no one cares he, he brings pink floyd up a lot so i think that's his like standard of uh, a good band <laughs> like that that's, right. his, he, that's also, his he also trashes he trashes willie nelson a couple times which he just has a serious distaste for for Willie Nelson, which is funny. Yeah, too. I mean, but we, we'll play that really quick just so you can like hear how like just this scathing review of, of having local bands play at Woodstock 99. You know, there's something I got to say about the local bands. When this whole thing started, the promoters made this big deal said, oh, we're going to special stage for the local bands. We want to highlight the local bands. That's when they were still trying to sell the area on having Woodstock. Now, as time went on, didn't have that much space for local bands and i guess under a lot of pressure they announced a bunch of local bands and they were going to be opening up some more time for them on thursday and stuff like that you gotta understand the promoter's reluctance to clear a lot of space for the local band because you know what again i'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here for all i know the next pink floyd may be working here in the mog valley right now but nobody cares about the local band. and then uh, to top that off uh, he has the singer of the band Fluid, again, who did kind of the theme song that runs throughout this whole documentary. Uh, he has him on for an interview and he fucking roasts him on the air. Just like completely yeah. shits mm-hmm. all over his face. Uh, well, here, right. yeah, check it out. So let's go to Lee from Rome. Lee, you're in WIBA. Hi, Bill. This is uh, Lee from the band Fluid. Yes. Now, now you're, you're a local band. band. Playing at Woodstock. Okay. All right. Rock and roll. Um, I just wanted to set the record straight. There's not a single cover tune in our set list that we're playing Thursday. Well, you know, I think that's good because I think most local bands think they're, you know, hot stuff because they can play Pink Floyd too or something like that. So I'm glad you guys are doing the original stuff. Um, you know, and 
And why not support the local guy? Well, I support you, Lee, but here's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing all this carping in the community about, oh, the local band. You think anybody's traveling here? And again, Lee, Absolutely you guys might, might be the best thing to ever hit the musical scene, but nobody's traveling here from, like, out of the area to see you guys. No doubt about it. But, Bill, you got to understand it's a music festival. They're not, I mean, the people who are coming to see Red Hot Chili Peppers don't care about George Clinton. Well, I'm sure everybody has bands that they like, and I'm sure everybody has bands that they don't like, and I'm sure pretty much nobody wants to see Willie Nelson. But the point is, they get the bands here that they think are going to attract people from around the country. You guys obviously aren't going to draw in one single fan from outside of Utica Rome. True or untrue? And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying if you're the promoters, this is the way you're looking at it. No one's coming to see you. No one's coming to see you. Admit it. Like, but then right. he also says the people that, uh, like, I, I love when he was talking about the local bands and he says the people that are going to see Red Hot Chili Peppers aren't going to go see George Clinton. Like, what the? F like, yes, yeah, that, yeah. That's I thought, like the I exact. Of all the acts, yeah, of all the acts he could have picked, uh, he picked the one guy that actually produced a Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Uh, so I was like, those those two bands are probably like two of the most similar. Acts, yeah, dude. You know. He doesn't know what he's talking about, up. though. He calls people hippy-dippy-trippies. Right. He is so fucking out of touch. Uh, but that's why we love him. Right. Um, but, you know, he's yeah, not wrong. I, I think it, it... Again, yeah, again, and it's just... I, again, it's just fascinating this... You're getting into this really, like, small-town drama, which I think is nice. Uh, it's refreshing from just all the, like, kind of big, huge, inflated thing that's going on with... You're, you're getting into some real... You got the, the local shock jock, and he's out there, like, kind of putting down one of the local bands and like i just i, I imagine yeah. like what happens after woodstock when they like see each other at the at the same bar <laughs> it's like oh sorry about the hey phil i just like completely trashed you uh, on air like you well, know, you yeah but shot? he'd be like, like i'm sorry i trashed you on the air that was my <laughs> yeah. bad yeah, <laughs> but yeah. but again, Stern's not wrong because no one fucking gave a, a absolute shit about the the welcoming stages. But I don't blame everyone for not sticking around for Spanky's dilemma because you know on the other stage you had like fucking Vertical Horizon and Third Base. So why would you uh, stick mm. around for Spanky's dilemma when you had that kind of shit? <laughs> Uh, yeah, also, um, th there's a really good shot of the stage, like the artwork, um, and I can see the signature of the artist that designed both the art for, for each stage as the backdrops. Uh, his name is Peter Max. So a little Woodstock 99 trivia there. Peter Max was the artist that designed the stages. Um, also throughout the film, mm -hmm. there's, there's tons and tons of interviews with the, the then mayor of Rome, Joe Griffo. He would later go on to become a senator. Um, and during the stint of Woodstock 99 in the media, he was called the rock and roll mayor. And like, he would come the down, rock and roll he mayor. wore like a Woodstock 99, like tie dye shirt and like khaki shorts and like went down to the concert and you could see him like meeting Puff Daddy and shit. It's <laughs> fucking bizarre. Uh, and there's tons and tons yeah. of aerial shots of the grounds as well. Uh, and tons of stills of people painting and constructing the piece, like the, the peace wall, you know, the giant mural that was built to keep everyone out. Um, and one of the stills is of the directional signs that show you where everything on the grounds were like food, bathrooms, medic, lost and found. There's so many things listed on there. It's it looks like a fucking cartoon joke. Like there, there's a million signs oh, yeah. on this thing. And, and if you watch this tape, you'll you'll know when you see it because like, it's just what the fuck is that? There's 20 different arrows and they're all pointing every which way. And that's that was your navigational tool. Uh, on the grounds it's, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny 
And then, right. so as the festival continued, though, the townspeople seem to have really kind of enjoyed it, and, and the temporary company, as they call it, and and the the extra or the double city or, or what have you, and when a whole city's worth of people comes into town, and you can kind of hear the the local the, this homegrown enthusiasm uh, in this little news clip that they play, where uh, actually like the the name ticker at the bottom that that shows the anchor woman's name, it's all tie dye and woodstocked out. And then they interview like pizza owners and, and some local folks. And it, it, it's, uh, it, it's very wholesome. It kind of gives you a completely different perspective on the entire thing. So we're going to play that for you real quick. Many people living in the small city of Rome would have never expected an event like Woodstock to land in their backyard. It's a little unusual. It's nothing. Um, it's what we expected it to be. We followed it from 69 to 94. The only thing I didn't think they'd come to our part of the country. Not only have they come to our part of the country, but they're also spending their money here. Actually, we've been doing pretty good. I, I think we're, we'll do well by the end of the event. From sunglasses to pizza, making them. Woodstockers are ready to spend. And restaurant owners like Jay Huggins are ready to serve. We're just playing it by ear. Whatever, whatever happens, we're into the spirit of it. I think it's the greatest thing that ever happened to Rome. It's nice, you know, the, the, the little pizza place. and, and, and Yeah. It's that small town. I mean, you got this pizza guy just like, yeah, we're, you know, we're ready for whatever. And so I will say that, I mean, in this, at this venture, at this point, it, it is making a very like optimistic uh, outlook. And I, and it really, I guess at that point, they, it, it was because, you know, this yeah. is still like, you know, like nothing bad had really happened. And now it seems like the majority of, the, ta- the people in Rome were just like, yeah, let's do this. Like, this will be cool. You know, the the whole world is kind of like watching us. Well, and, and even as it know, was happening, at- cards, right? we can make a lot of money. Right, exactly. And like, even as it was happening, all these businesses were full because people were coming in and coming in, coming in the entire weekend. It's not like everyone that went to Woodstock is there the entire time. So, I mean, yeah, all these businesses are consistently busy. I can see why they'd be stoked. Uh, and they're not catching any of like the bad shit. You know what I mean? Because all of that right. stuff was really mm-hmm. contained because since it is a small town, if you come out of Woodstock and you're fucked up and you start fights or you start being fucking weird and crazy, you're going to get arrested pretty quick. You know what I mean? So right. it's uh, they didn't right. really have to deal with any of that stuff. But one like local business uh, did not thrive. And that was all the local media, like the Rome Sentinel newspaper and the local news. Um, all of the media from from Rome, New York, were, were all kind of being pushed and bullied out of the the prime filming locations and stuff at Woodstock 99 by bigger coverages like like MTV or or you know Fox or you know ABC or like a- any of the huge news company like companies and people that were covering this stuff they had control of the backstage they had control of the medic tents they were able to go into the press towers all the local people were kind of shoved out and that's why it, it's so different watching like the mystery tape as opposed to watching like MTV coverage you know what I mean? Because it's right. They, they, they weren't able to go backstage because, or tell you how how fucked up things were. They were just there to see it. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, right. it, it's completely different. But it's because, yeah, they were pushed out there. And even um, what's her name? Mary from or earlier. She, she's Mary Jo. Yeah. yeah, Mary Jo. She talks about wanting to um, run traffic like. Like we run, run a, a traffic updates Do on traffic these reports and yeah, she yeah, wanted, traffic reports. Yeah, and and they to told her no signs. Yeah. But then she says that. She finds out that they they want to use like, you know, her traffic tower, and she was so it's kind of funny where she gets to she like swings some weight around and she's like, 
well, you're not going to be able to make any traffic reports if I shut this tower down. And so yeah. she actually like kind of gets her way into it. And it, again, it's like a funny little like it's like, all right, well, you know, you can't you can't go too far with this. Like this is our like town. It, so she's, we need to like somehow benefit in this. But again, you see like all these bigger outlets being like, no, we're just going to like we're just going to show up. It's and like when the FBI comes in on like a police investigation. They're like, nope, my desk now, right. my station now. But right, also right. like Mary Jo, like right. her, uh, like, yeah, throwing her weight around a little bit, like not taking any shit. Like if she was going to be played in a movie, I would say Julia Roberts would make like a good one. Uh, not not in the way that she looks, but just like that Aaron Brockovich kind of like, listen, like you don't push me around kind of <laughs> kind of shit. I don't know. They right. need to make Woodstock yeah. 99 the actual movie. Uh, and, yeah. And make it like super positive. Like. Uh, what was right. the what was the shitty fucking Woodstock movie with uh, Dimitri Martin finding Woodstock or something? Right. Though I think I think Josh said he liked it, but I I haven't seen it, so I can't say any, one either way. There's like a weird but, uh, bisexual yeah, acid orgy scene, pretty dope. Uh, <laughs> but, right. I think that maybe maybe he liked that scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not, it would be not here to, to make not a, here to defend. A yeah, I I like this the narrative the Woodstock '99 just the Rome New York version, right? Beach, yeah, Mary Jo is, Beach is the she's the star. I actually was digging around in Rick E. Lewis, the guy who uploaded all this stuff, and I found like because I mean I was I was really getting into all this just like essentially like very day to day happenings of yeah it's Rome, even, yeah you love New it York, and like and Mary Jo Beach now like owns like kind of like a wine bar or something oh. and like i saw her in the like someone was interviewing her just for some like you know like a fundraiser for like cancer awareness or something and then it's just like there she is and it's like whoa like all this stuff is just, we're gonna track them down yeah one day yeah that's yeah. why you guys need to sign up uh, to. for our patreon so we can fly out to rome and meet people that own fucking pizza places and like radio towers and shit uh it's important yeah <laughs> so <laughs> like as, as the documentary kind of starts winding down um there you see the last uh, that you're going to see of phil stern and he's he's very positive he's actually on the grounds at woodstock 99 he went he he faced the hippy dippy trippies and went and uh he's, he's kind of got like a, a fun little, little quote here uh, about it it's just kind of a you know because he, he's been such a fucking dick this entire time that to like see him happy and excited to go to Woodstock. Cause that's also kind of like a fun wrap up ending to the whole documentary is that like, it's now Woodstock happens. Like you just watch so much of it getting put together and now it's happening. It's like the ending, everyone gets to go and it's this whole thing. So this is a uh, Phil Stern at Woodstock 99. Well, I gotta tell you, uh, number one, I'm, I'm glad to be off the air. Uh, today is Saturday and uh, I was getting a little tired of talking about Woodstock, but no, things seem to be going great, you know? And, and uh, the funny thing is, all of these fears of how it was going to go and all the riots and the this and the looting and the bad parking and the bad traffic. And yeah, there has been a little traffic backup. For example, today we tried to get in here down sort of Main Street in Rome and it was too backed up. So we had to swing around and come back on Route 49 and, and kind of sneak in one of the back entrances. but. Things seem to be going very well, you know? We're here waiting to go down to the East Stage, you know? And then after... And he's got his tie-dye shirt on. Yo, and, uh, he, he's got he went full for it. He seems like he's enjoying himself. But this this is not the end. Uh, this So this is where it gets a little confusing. This is the end. This is We're approaching the end of the YouTube 
uh, series uploaded, but there there's a whole other section uploaded with Vimeo, which gives a right you know, a more comprehensive. It get, it gets into all the stuff too. So well, and there uh, we'll, is we'll there is a little on. more on on the the YouTube half uh, of right. of the video, like because mm-hmm. they they do show some backstage footage where you get to see like. Uh, Kid Rock and Puff Daddy comparing each other's watches. Bruce Hornsby's in it for a second. Wyclef Jean, Dave Matthews Band. You see all those people uh, walking around back backstage. And Cheryl Crow actually gives a, a, a tiny interview uh, for the local news station. I think she might be the only people that, uh, or like, like that's the only person that they were able to get a hold of that was big for an interview. So right. Uh, let, let's and, and basically what they ask her is what the big difference between 94 and 99 is. And this is again, one of those things where, I mean, she's on day one though. So things really hadn't started going bad, but it's like this premonition where it's like, if you know how it ends, this seems kind of like haunting almost. So this is a Cheryl mm-hmm. Crow, uh, her little local news interview. Cheryl Crow paid a lot of dues before she made it big. Uh, and had nothing but success since, and that's why she's one of the biggest names to perform here at Woodstock 99. We got a chance to talk with Cheryl Crow earlier today, and she told us about some of the differences between Woodstock 99 and the show she originally performed at Woodstock 94 in Socrates five years ago. Time seemed to just be out of control, uh, difficult logistically. Yeah. And this one, we pulled up even, and I didn't see any vendors. I didn't see people with wacky signs saying, are you Jimi Hendrix? Sorry. Yeah, right, right. It's hard to figure out which one she's actually talking about because, like, the same bad things can be said for both festivals. So, like, when she's like, yeah, I mean, right. there's, there's, I mean, what's the big difference? Well, logistical problems, you know? It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. like, which one? <laughs> because, like, they're both a fucking total shit show. Um, and then right. th- they... And, but, I mean, she's not the only... I mean, I think Bush... There was a couple other people that we've noticed that they've commented on how well organized it is, and and... My guess is just that they did a much better job of sequestering the artists and making sure that the artists didn't could stay as far away from po- as possible from the crowd and just kind of streamlining that process. So from right. the artist's perspective, it's like, yeah, this is doing much better. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I, I, yeah. They had no fucking idea. I mean, even when they're on stage, they like every artist talks about like, well, there's so many fucking people that you can't really see the bad shit that's happening. Um, but right. when they're on the grounds and as the festival's going on, they, they meet a couple different people. Like they show some mud, like prime mud Nazi footage uh, and they interview a spritzer girl who's just like this hippie walking around with a water spritzer bottle uh, spraying people. Right. And dude, I fucking recently found out because I was reading, I got the issue of Spin Magazine, which we're going to get so into in the future because um, it's insane. But there was like an E. coli outbreak on the grounds of Woodstock 99 because all like the free water oh. channels that, that they, they were giving people had busted those pipes and it like got mixed with the sewage. So basically there was Ooh. thousands of people hurtled over and cramped with cramped stomachs, shitting themselves and vomiting and tons and tons of them were brought to the medic tent all because of the poop getting mixed in with the water that they were drinking. And this chick's going around spraying it in fucking people's faces like shit mace. It's like, it's fucking so that gross. The water that uh, Lang Lang was talking about that he was trying to give out. Oh yeah. Um, yeah I've been trying to give, give people water. Oh my God. Uh, they also show footage of uh, like inside of an onsite art gallery that they had with just like, you know, pieces of the, the peace wall that they were too good to put up on the actual wall. And in the, like, you know, just like, local artists having their pieces up and the whole thing was that the proceeds were going to go to this foundation that was maintained by the Kennedy family because JFK Jr. had died a week before the festival. I totally forgot about that. That's a huge 90s thing. 
uh, his plane crashed yeah. and, and he died. And so like, there was this giant, like JFK jr. Like push. Uh, but I mean, it makes sense. Like New York, I, I, I don't know. The like, Rome, New York just seems like the kind of place that would love the Kennedys. Um, and yeah, uh, I mean, and also like he died in a plane crash. It's like cue the joke. Like what's with the Kennedys? I mean, it's just like <laughs> so many, like just hugely catastrophic uh, and tragic deaths in that family. Um, right. Yeah, I, I didn't know that Junior died in a plane crash. So uh, can't catch a break. No, no, um, no. Yeah. And, and it happened like right before. So like that made its way into Woodstock 99. Uh, it's it's right. kind of crazy. But that but so, is actually where the YouTube look, half. That's ends. where the YouTube ends. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm not totally sure what, how it was done exactly that way. But then so we're, we're chasing that. And then I, I see in the comments of the last video, it says here is the uh, uncensored uh, conclusion. And that took me to Vimeo because I guess Vimeo is a little um, more lenient on their policy in terms of showing nudity. Oh yeah. So yeah. there's a Vimeo, there's a Vimeo uh, footage or a Vimeo, a Vimeo video that is really good because then it, this, this one, there's a couple, but the one that immediately proceeds has a lot of just kind of a lot of the things that you would expect almost just like the goods like the things you want like there's there is a montage of like a bunch of tits there is actually phil stern talking about how excited he is about the tits so uh <laughs> kind of kind of not, not doing his character justice they, they, they just threw like him being off. like like now he's a he, first he's a curmudgeon and now he's just like a horny perv uh there's a close-up <laughs> of uh, a belly button piercing um, which just the way the camera shot, it almost, Ugh, it seems like you're watching something way more disturbing than you are. There's, um, <laughs> there's a lot of, I bet you that uh, chick got torn the fuck off like, in a pit, dude. You know that that chick went crowd surfing and it got fucking <laughs> tore off of her goddamn body. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It's, it's, it's pretty intense. You see, um, you see a couple bit of, you see a little bit of like the skate park and the extreme sports that they have been advertising. Uh, you see this one woman, one woman who, on her chest has written in Sharpie, show us your dick. And then they like <laughs> interview her and she's like, well, Trail you gotta blazer. make it fair. And then it cuts to uh, some of the drum, like the drum circle freak people who are like drumming on the Tim cans. Drumstock. You actually do see, you see some uh, hanging dong. You see like a dude just like beating on a drum while, while his dick is like flailing around. <laughs> Um, so you kind of, you get like, you get some of, I think, th I think this is where the, they do really well, where they start to like, be like, okay, well things can get like a little gnarly here. And, um, they even have like some footage of people just knocking down the walls, which I guess is, it's, it's hard to tell if like what exactly the wall is, I guess that is the peace wall, but it you know it's it seems it's it seems very vague in the context of it, but people are just knocking down walls, and you can tell. Well, yeah, that I mean they they, they tore the wood off of everything. They shouldn't be doing. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, I mean, but they tore. I mean, it's not just like when you see all the wood and stuff that, that's getting torn apart at Woodstock '99 in the footage. It's not all from the peace wall, which again was so fucking massive. So like, yeah, at any point in time, if you see footage of it, it's really hard to tell like where they actually are. Uh, in, you know, mm -hmm. in, in relation to like the stages and stuff, but they also tore the wood that was protecting the sound towers and the fucking media towers and everything right. else. You know what I mean? So it it, right. it could have been 
anything, but there is tons and fucking tons of people busting the wall down. It, it's crazy. Right. There's, there's definitely, um, yeah, you start getting like the aggro vibe. And so they have footage of that and then it cuts to them. You know, it kind of speeds up to then just, you know, showing like footage of the fire and, you know, acknowledging that, well, it did actually end up uh, very poorly and there was a lot of fires and there was destruction. Right. And um, so they have they have Stern. Um, well, they have they have some of the press conference and they have essentially what is damage control um <laughs> and they have people like basically they have some you know like lang uh lang looks very sleep deprived and he is talking about how you know he the, kind of in the way that they're saying is that this was a very small minority of the people there right that were doing this and it's interesting because the way that this whole little this mystery tape documentary is going i think that this narrative definitely that is sort of the narrative that that they want or that and so it does seem that way where like that you do see like a lot of people that just are enjoying themselves and want to have a good time right well the, what they said like was because this, this myth of woodstock right and, and i mean there was just, over three hundred thousand definitely people there. agitators yeah and right. i mean there was over yeah, three hundred thousand yeah, people. people and they what they said was like in some reports like for instance in that spin magazine that i, I just got they they said that it was about like five to 10,000 people total on the grounds that were doing looting and rioting and fires and all, and all that shit. Uh, and also the, the thing to keep in mind is when they were doing looting and, and they were starting fires, people weren't really getting hurt unless you were a security guard or an employee of Woodstock 99. Um, even the vendors said that like when people would jump over, like they would just end up joining in because you know, fuck it, like whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to stop these people, but they're not trying to hurt me. That, that was all, it wasn't like right. violent. It was just breaking stuff. It was break stuff. You know what I mean? And, and right. so, so there was very <laughs> little actual physical violence uh, during right. that right. time, you know? Right. But, but, def, but massive amounts of vandalism. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, 5,000 people doing all that shit is that's a lot of fucking people, but in the scope of how many people were actually there, it is a small minority. And John Sherry even went on, to, he has this crazy conspiracy theory that he he has said in interviews where he said that he believes that there was like an indiscriminate cult that that incited the riots on purpose that like like infiltrated Woodstock '99 with the like pure intention of of starting a riot and, and and starting fires and he thinks that it was like a pre-planned thing from what he described as a cult, which is like fucking bizarre. Hmm. But uh, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean. I Hmm. They're right, but they're I wrong. I would say that you know? there's definitely. Well, yeah, it's like there were. I mean, there obviously were people who were whose interpretation of Woodstock was like, "I can do whatever I want," which and what I want to do is light, you know, a bunch of stuff on fire um, until it becomes like somewhat uncontrollable, and that's you know that I guess I guess that is what in a way what he's saying is that there people. People that were there, you know, whose intention was just way more like chaos and uh, right. way less just like, let's smoke. Let's just smoke some ganja. Um, some people just wanted to to really like destroy stuff. And um, when and I guess the interesting 
Well, sorry, what were you saying? Well, no, it's like that. It's not even like their intention showing up was like when they're like, dude, and then fucking like once shit gets crazy, we're going to start fires. It, it's a complete like that's where Lang and Cher are so wrong. Like, yes, it was only five to ten thousand out of three hundred to four hundred thousand. That is a small amount kind of, you know, when you think about it in the scope of it. But these weren't people that were just like bad, you know, bad seeds. Like, yes, they were. But also fucking it, it was the water prices. It was the sanitation. It was everything that like failed on the promoters and that led to that it wasn't just a, a rea- it wasn't just a mosh pit gone wrong it was a fucking reaction to how poorly everything was and how shitty they were being treated and you know just how awful the experience was so they made it like in, in some people's words that i've seen like some quotes in, in like rolling stone and spin and on mtv they said that they made it worth it they got their money's worth you know what i mean that's why you don't really see too much like violence during that that period of time on Sunday, but you definitely see lots of camaraderie and fires and fucking, you know, people screaming and chanting and everything else, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, in the right. original mystery tape, there's like a group that busts open a fucking ATM and, and they're like jumping on top of this mm-hmm. ATM. Uh, when it got opened, it was empty because all the money had run out on the first day. Cause everyone realized how expensive everything was. So then all the ATMs got depleted. So <laughs> they, they just broke wow. an ATM for no fucking reason. But I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's, I mean, that's kind of the mystery tape. I mean, that, that's the second one. And it's, it's right. Again, you have to piece it together, um, but it's fucking, that's, that's it in a nutshell, I guess. Well, there's, there's two more, there's two more interesting things. So there is actually, I found uh, a a little final, they all do like little final quotes and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got Phil, Phil Stern's Phil Stern. He interviews a couple, some people afterwards saying would you have woodstock again and uh in rome and he's hit whatever whatever maybe he got like contact high during the festival because he was feeling a little good because he is now very anti woodstock again and so (laughs) he's kind of in disbelief that uh, he he a lot of the people that call in say that they would have woodstock again in rome and so he's kind of like oh my god i can't believe that uh then you have mary joe beach who she points to how her takes very interesting, but she's basically like, well, it put us on the map. And again, it's kind of like she's saying it wasn't that bad, even though it did get bad, but everyone else was fun. And she's, she's very much pro Rome, New York. So one of the best summaries I can say from this documentary and just and again, just a really good summary of the festival comes from Stephen B. Waters. And this is he's the guy in the mystery tape. And he he just has a nice, like eloquent way, at least again, it's just one perspective of it. But he has some nice things to say about the festival. Right. And, you know, it's weird, too, though, uh, because he also ends the original mystery tape. And it's like. Like he, it's it's like a positive thing, like, you know what it is? he truly understands the scope of the social impact. You know what I mean? Like he understands like that. You got to take the good with the bad with that. And that it is as important as 69. Uh, And, and you kind of get that from, from this, uh, this clip too. So we'll, we'll just go ahead and play Steven. This is Steven waters kind of summing up the, the Woodstock 99 experience. 
The purpose of a journalist ought to be to be your surrogate. If you can't be at a particular place, the job of the journalist is to give you an accurate representation of the way things are. It's to provide a map, an accurate map of, of the reality that's there. And I think journalism failed in Woodstock 99. I think that there were frame narratives. In literature, there's a frame narrative, which is when the producer says, well, this is the approach that we're going to use for reporting this story. And I think that there were a lot of frame narratives that were going around, particularly in terms of the broadcast media of the day. They were going to tell the story from a particular point of view. It's, that's what I was talking about when, when I said both, you know, that the smaller media, like the local media, was getting pushed out. And, and then the, you know, the top dogs got to create the narrative. But yeah, it is, you know, everyone's pushing uh, an, an agenda. And that's why Woodstock 99 got lost in time, I feel like. Because they didn't have guys like Stephen Waters mm -hmm. giving you like a completely accurate thing. It was either all fucking bloodshed and fires or it might as well not have happened at all. You know what I mean? That's kind of the major right. outlet view of it. Whereas these other people that, you know, had they had the small town perspective because they lived where it took place. They had such a, a wider scope of looking at it that I feel like it's the most mm -hmm. accurate view uh, of it. Stephen Waters is literally like a genius the way that he put his words together to describe this stuff. And we're going to play the original mystery tape ending from him uh, probably on the very last episode of, of this podcast. Yeah. Because um, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. It's really good. And, and it, it and that I, I can see that. I do think that it was Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine had also said something similar, saying that, you know, I guess when it comes from someone like Tom Morello or Stephen Waters, someone who isn't John Sher, who has like a financial, you know, stake in it, right. when they're saying, oh, you know, something bad did happen, but the, the media is really intensely focusing on it. I guess it gives it, a, it gives it more credence when one of these other people are saying it than someone who obviously is trying to cover their ass. Um, and I can, I can see that perspective where, you know, it is like, okay, obviously everyone was kind of wanting something bad to go, ha to go wrong. So when it does go wrong, you've got Rolling Stone and spin They're They're going after it, but it's funny that he mentions frame narratives because him saying that is very telling. I feel like of this documentary where the documentary, I feel like they're, agenda is to be like look at all the good stuff that happened that you didn't get to see um i don't know if, it's that, if that's like an coverage. intentional thing though i i feel like that's just how it comes off you know what i mean i, I think they just laid it out there like by interviewing the townspeople you, you know what i mean it's like it, it, whether it was intentional or not because it's like why defend woodstock 99 so hard you know what i mean it's like they didn't no one even knows right. where it took place you know what i mean like rome didn't get like right. a black eye you know in in public opinion mm -hmm. or anything uh, so right. it, it, I think it just is like that. And it, and, and the true insanity of it was, you know, it, it was in a, a controlled, if you will, like, I use that word lightly area, you know what I mean? Of the festival, it was, it was like a pack of beasts that went crazy amongst mm -hmm. thousands and thousands right. and thousands of people that, that weren't. So overall, if you look at it, like, yeah, it was, a, you know, there was a lot more people that had a good time than people that had a bad time. But the people that had a bad time right. had the worst time. And that's why we think right. it's interesting and worth talking about. You know what I mean? Because right. these things. Yeah. And like, I guess because yeah. with, with, with Rome, in regards to Rome, you know, you had all these, all the damage of the vendors on the festival, but that took place at the festival at Griffiths. And those vendors suffered huge hits, but there isn't really much reports. The actual, you know, restaurant owners and the people who lived and, 
in Rome and were vendors there, I mean, they did have like, you know, a, a they cleaned big up. spike in business. Totally. Right? Yeah. They did great. Yeah. So, so, you know, good for the town, it, it bad is, for uh, society. <laughs> right. And I guess, I guess to me, I just, I was really glad to watch this because to me, this kind of like, wow, okay, there's a lot more uh, history and it's, it, it does add a lot more perspective. And again, it doesn't totally fit into something so neat as like, you know, you had the first Woodstock, like, well, things didn't go wrong, but it was an iconic success in terms of history and culture. And then you have 99, be like, well, it was just really awful. And so I, I like things like that, where it's like, well, this other thing happened and it doesn't fit so neatly into one specific category or one emotional reaction, right. but it still happened nonetheless. So it, you know, you need stuff like that to paint like a fuller picture of, exactly. of how things go down, you know? And that's why we recommend that all of you go on YouTube and search Woodstock 99 before, during, and after posted by Rick E. Lewis. Also on the, and you know, we'll, e. we'll, Lewis. We'll, we'll, we'll post this stuff on, on Instagram and stuff, these, these links. Uh, once the, once you have access to this episode, but, uh, that, that's mm -hmm. it. I mean, that's, that's that documentary. So, I mean, man, I mean, we've really, really filled in a lot of the holes, uh, <laughs> like any hole that there could possibly be in the information of leading up to, to Woodstock. I mean, goddamn, like we've, we have sat there and watched press conferences about the traffic planning. That's how fucking in-depth right. yeah. we've gotten, dude. When I say it like that, it makes me hate myself. All right. But yeah, we really recommend that everyone watches this. If you're a fan of the podcast, if you're interested in Woodstock 99, it paints just such like an in intensely different picture than what you'll see if you just Google Woodstock 99 and check out the Rolling Stone coverage or whatever. It, it's a whole lot bigger than that. And the, the subtle things in, in it throughout it are incredible, like uh, the uh, Confederate flag do-rag or Godsmack being stuck in traffic. Like, that's... It, it's just incredible. It's, it's majorly worth watching. Uh, but yeah, so we have a lot of stuff coming out for you guys. Again, like I mentioned we have three legend episodes just for day two. Uh, so, you know, stay tuned for those. There's tons and tons of stuff coming next time. We will have Josh back with us and we will be a full mm -hmm. team. And uh, yeah, yeah let's, and we're, uh, we're going to get a bunch of episodes cranked out for you. And yeah, we'll be back on it. So there, there is plenty more good stuff to come. Oh yeah, yeah. We just had to fill you in on this uh, on this gem of a fucking artifact. Uh, speaking of artifacts, I did just get myself some original Woodstock '99 drink tickets, unused drink tickets, and uh, meal tickets as well. So, in the future, when we have a a, a live event and uh, an artifact exhibition, you'll get to see <laughs> the, these fucking awesome things that I've been collecting. But that's that's gonna be it for today, folks. So make sure you uh, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com/slash culture dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. I've been here with Parks Miller and Josh Evans, who was not here today, but is with us always in Woodstock 99 spirit. We would like to thank Gray Holger at Contradict Sound for all of his technical assistance. And if you went to, worked at, or played Woodstock 99 and would like to talk to us, please contact us at podcast99official at gmail.com or on Instagram at podcast99. Thanks, and we'll see you at Woodstock.